want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 13. Let me read a story to you if I could. I seriously doubt it's true, but I found it humorous anyway. It says, a woman wrote to her husband who was serving time in prison for armed robbery. When is the best time to plant the potatoes, she wrote. The husband wrote back, don't dig in the potato patch now. That is where I hid all my guns. The prison mail was monitored, of course, and soon the potato patch in question was being dug up by a whole squad of policemen. But there were no guns to be found. Again, the wife wrote to her husband in prison, they've dug up the whole potato patch, she complained. Her imprisoned husband smugly wrote back, the patch is now properly tilled, you may now plant the potatoes. <laughs> All right. Now, I was born and raised, and somewhere in my junior high years, my dad had this brainstorming session and decided he was going to be a farmer. Well, he was a 12th grade English teacher, did a fabulous job there, but he wanted a side job as if music wasn't enough, and he decided to be a gardener. So I, I followed suit. I thought this would be pretty fun. He did his little thing, and I was decided I was going to grow watermelons. How many of you have ever tried growing watermelons before? How many of you ever tried growing water, watermelons in the north? Did you try, you try growing it in North Michigan? How big were the watermelons? Oh, about two inches wide. Okay. All right. My heart goes out to you, brother, because I built this little a container of of wood. I put it on our the roof, portion of our roof that was flat, and filled it with uh, dirt and planted those seeds. And that that little seed began to grow. I was so excited. I watered it like constantly, and the plant hardly grew at all. I think it may have tried to grow some fruit, but forget it. Uh, if it was, it was, a, it was probably smaller than Cole's watermelons, and it was an utter failure. So I began to read a little bit, and I realized they needed loamy soil. And I, wa I wondered, what on earth is loamy soil? So I asked my mom, and she described, Mike, you have to mix a lot of sand with this. So I did that, and I mixed a lot of sand in preparing the soil, planted the seed, and I thought, I'm going to be really cool about this. I'm going to plant yellow seedless watermelons. And they were probably about the size, a little bit bigger than cantaloupes, but it was a whole lot bigger than one or two inches in diameter as the other ones. And I began to realize that cultivating the soil properly was so important. Not from Wilmington, Delaware. And up in, in Wilmington, Delaware, the topsoil is anywhere from two maybe to maybe six inches deep. And so if you were to plant seeds without cultivating and tilling the soil, the roots would go down two or three inches and then stop. And the reason for this is because there's a lot of what they call clay up there. And everyone here knows what clay is, but roots don't penetrate clay real well. And so consequently, you have to till the soil. You have to, you have to break up that clay because if the roots go down to the clay and you get a rain and it kind of settles, goes down the two inches and then settles on top of the clay for very long, it's going to rot your roots. Also, if, it's there, if you can have a problem with too much rain and you can have a problem with not enough rain and the two inches of soil dries out. So you got to break up that ground. So what my dad decided to do was instead of uh, tilling all of this soil for his garden, he did it some, but just not thoroughly, he decided that he was going to build uh, a 
a barrier with two inches by eight inch planks, and then he filled that with, uh, with mushroom soil. And the, the garden grew wonderfully. Now, mentioning this to you because as any gardener knows, and by the way, do we have any gardeners among us today? Aside, sorry, but aside from the tarot gardens, because I'm talking about cultivating the soil. Okay, how many of you are gardeners? Raise your hand now. Okay, there's a handful of you. You've, you've done it. All right. Um, you have to prepare the soil. As a matter of fact, how you prepare the soil many times will, de- will determine the amount and the type of fruit or vegetables that you end up getting. How you cultivate the soil will determine the crop. That's what I want us to focus on today. Now, I don't have a lot of time, but I do want to talk about the parable of the four soils. I'm going to do this, though, in two parts. Today, I'm going to, the purpose, let me just say, is to look at these three soils and see how these three soils what they are, why they are the way they are, why none of those first three soils produce fruit, and how is it that the good soil, when the seed is planted, which is the gospel of the kingdom, it grows and produces 30, 60, 100-fold. Let me just say this, that in this parable, what we need to realize is that the seed is sown in on all four soils. We also realize that Each of our hearts, at some point, were akin to the pathway, to the rocky ground, and or to the thorny ground. God had to do something in each of our hearts to make our hearts good soil. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Before I read the passage, I want to remind you, last week, I preached on Noah. The week before, I preached on, help me out, what was the name of the prophet? Thank you. You remember Jonah. Here's Jonah. He's a prophet, a disobedient prophet, repents. God brings him through some harrowing experiences, and he's coughed up on land after three days of being in the belly of a fish. And he goes, he repents, obeys God, goes to Nineveh, and as he preaches 120,000 who truly repent, This is not a false conversion. We talked about this. It's a genuine conversion, perhaps the greatest revival in all of history. What an awesome, successful ministry, right? Now, let's go back a little bit to Noah. Noah, Paul Peter says, was a preacher of righteousness. When the flood came, God rescued Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and his, the, the, seven family, the seven members of his family. And in that context, we realize that he was a preacher of righteousness before the flood. He's building the ark. He's putting a lot of time into it. His sons are helping him. I'm sure the daughters-in-law are helping as well, the wife. And as he's building this ark, he is also preaching repentance. Now, this is what Jonah did, and 120,000 came to the Lord. Do you remember how many people responded to Noah's powerful preaching of righteousness? goose egg. Zero. Zero listened to him. Zero repented. And it would be very tempting if I were Noah to have climbed aboard the ark and said, you know what? To my wife, I just need some time out right now. I feel like an utter failure for how many years? Possibly up to 70 years, church, uh, that he had been preaching. And maybe even before 
he was told to build the ark. He began to build the ark and he was preaching to finally realize there is no one but my family aboard this ark. No one listened to me. What, a, what an opportunity for the most incredible pity party ever. But I don't think he went there. If he wept, it was not because he felt like a failure, but because zero had repented. Here is what we do know, though. Both Jonah and Noah were successful. Noah was not a failure, and what we realized was because their success was based on one thing, and that was obedience to the Lord. At least five times, if not more, it is mentioned about Noah that he walked with God, that he was a righteous man, that he obeyed everything that God commanded him. Noah was a success. He obeyed God. Perhaps the most significant ministry that Noah had was his family. And as we looked at last week, there are three things that we need to realize that God uniquely puts together for moms and dads as they plant the seed of the word that we're going to learn about today in their hearts. Three unique things. Number one, and I'm being very brief here, but number one, we realize that God has very precious promises that he gives to parents that he does not give to us as we are seeking to sow the seed of the gospel out in the world. In a unique way, God works as the parent does this with his, his or her child. Train up a child in the way he should go. That is key, by the way. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So there are promises that God extends. Number two, we realize in 1 Corinthians 7 that the believing spouse actually sanctifies the children. Now, I'm not going to try and unwrap all of what that means. There's disagreement in the body of Christ, but this we do know that is in some way God's favor, unique favor that he pours out upon the parents to the children. We do not see that type of principle anywhere else in any other type of relationships that scripture mentions, except parents, children. And then thirdly, and this is what we're going to focus on today and next week, and it is this that God, in a unique way, has allowed us to spend so much time with our children that there is a cultivation of their hearts that he allows us to enjoy. So the title of the sermon today is Cultivating the Heart. Now, this week, I'm, I am going to be focusing strictly on the parent-child relationship, but you're going to notice, as I touched on it last week, that this also applies. These principles can also apply as we are seeking to let our light shine and cultivate the hearts of those around us. It's just that with the parent-child, there is a unique blessing and favor that God allows us to walk in in that relationship. So let's now look at excuse me, Matthew 13. I'm going to start with verse 18 and read through verse 23. And I'm wanting to, I'm, I'm focusing on this uh, for time's sake, but also I want, to, I want to skip right to the chase. How does Jesus interpret the parable? And I think there's enough information that I'm going to read here that you will be able to have understood the parable that he shared in prior verses. So are you with me? Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what, is so, what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the word that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word but worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. So we can see then the four soils here. Today we are just going to focus on the path. We're just going to focus on the path. And again, the premise is that the good soil was not always good soil. And we've got to be careful whenever we delve into a parable or when any pastor shares an illustration or anyone actually shares an illustration that we never press the illustration too far. We never press a parable too far, okay? There are certain elements about parables that Jesus shared that if we do that, it will break down. Just like any illustration, it will break down because it's meant to teach only certain things. So that's what I want us to focus on here. I don't think it's speculative to suggest that this good soil at one time was like the path, at one time was like the stony ground or like the thorny ground. It wasn't born with good soil. None of our hearts were born with good soil. God, through people and circumstances, moms and dads that I'm going to be focusing on today, he used them to cultivate these hearts so that when the seed was planted, eventually being planted in good soil, it produced much fruit. So are you with me on this? So let's go ahead and look at this first one. The pathway. But let's notice, I'm going to read that verse again in verse 19. It says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Can I ask you a question? What makes a path a path? If you've been walking through a forest, you come across a path, how did that path get there? generally through animals or through people, but they walk on the path. There's nothing that grows there. The brush has, has been pushed aside, twigs broken, and eventually nothing grows on that pathway. And there's nothing different here. You, the pathway is where they have walked. It's trampled under the foot of man, okay? Having been trampled under the foot of man, the, the, the pathway is rarely, if ever, cultivated. It's not tilled, okay? Many times along the pathway or on the sides of the pathway, that's where they till, and there is just this wide pathway, and that's where you walk to scatter the seed or to push your wheelbarrow to, so that you can gather your, your fruit and vegetables and place it in the wheelbarrow. It's this pathway. And I'm sharing this with you because the pathway is hard and therefore the heart is hard. Three quick things. The heart is hard. I'm going to come back to these. 
They do not understand the word. And the devil, Satan himself, the evil one, comes and snatches the seed as a consequence of the first two out of their hearts. So here's my question then. As moms and dads, how can we plant or how can we cultivate this pathway? Because generally speaking, the pathway is not well cultivated, if at all. How can we be a part of this cultivation process of the pathway, the hardened heart, so that when it receives the word, it would become like the good soil and produce much fruit? Well, I did mention that it was hardened. Let's kind of flesh this out a little bit. It's trampled under the foot of men. That's why it is hard. That is a given. This is where everybody walks and packs it down, and the pathway becomes hard. When the seed falls on the hard ground, it falls right on top, and after many rains, it does not get covered by the soil. It's still on top, and the birds of the air, over a period of time, eventually pick the seed, eat it, and that's representative of Satan stealing the word out of the heart. You see, where the ground is cultivated, which is what we are wanting to do with this pathway, when the ground is cultivated, seed is scattered, when the rains come down, because it's, it's not flat, it's not hard, the rains come down and some erosion takes place and the soil covers the seed after two, three rains, and then it grows. That doesn't happen with the pathway. The hearts are hardened. They've been trampled under people's feet. Life, church, is hard. There are hurts in life. I, I, I can remember when Kate was a little girl. She was, for the most part, an extremely obedient little girl. She wanted to please mom and dad. I remember one particular day, it is still etching my mind because it was Excuse me, Kate. It was so funny. But she threw a temper tantrum. And I, my, Meredith and I had never seen her throw a temper tantrum like this. And it was a serious temper tantrum that she just would not stop. She had, being the firstborn, received all of mom's and dad's affection. And then along comes little sister. And Meredith nursed Juliana. We, we obviously spent time with her when she woke up. We, we brought her to bed, at least for a while. We changed diapers. We fed her. We calmed her down when she was crying. We did whatever we could to keep this little girl content. And Kate noticed this, and she got jealous. She was, what, two and a half, three years old? What a little girl. <laughs> we were amazed that she just threw this incredible temper tantrum because we had to take care of little Juliana. She was jealous. She was angry. You know, we've seen Rusty now go through this phase as Cooper was born, but he's getting better and better at it. And he loves his little brother so much. The other day, he, he, he walked over to Cooper and he sat on him to kiss him. <laughs> no, don't sit on your little brother. But, you know, there is something, even in that precious little heart, 
that is being subjected to life's difficulties. And, Mary, and Kate, Rusty, all of us, if you're the oldest and you had a second sibling come along, there was probably this twinge of jealousy, of maybe even feeling rejected. Mom, why aren't you paying attention just to me? Who is this second child that you even have to do anything for? It's my needs that your life revolves around. Tom come to the realization that mom's love now needs to be shared more. But it, even, it starts even back then. Amazing how just these little things in life can impact our children and, and hurt them. And so, you know, I, I, I've observed Kate. I remember when Meredith and I were going through this with ours. But you have to walk your child so gently through this and affirm them. Now, consider for a moment a mom who deals firmly and harshly with that child throwing a temper tantrum. Whoa, you're throwing a temper tantrum? This is really bad. To the bathroom, girl. We're taking care of this. And there is no loving response, no assurance of that love. And they, they find it difficult to work through this. And I'm trying to paint a picture for you because this sense of rejection, this, the hardening of the pathway can begin even way back there if we're not careful. And so Meredith spent considerable time with Kate and with Juliana. Hosea 12, excuse me, Hosea 10, 12 says, break up your unplowed ground. That means bring them to repentance. So we had to discipline, we had to do it in love and not anger. You see, when we discipline in anger, it makes our children feel rejected and the heart begins to close step by step. Here is the difficulty in parenting. You don't truly know that the wounds that have occurred in a child's heart have truly caused that heart to close until the teenage years, many times. And it's as they begin to experience this strain for independence, the rebellion begins to surface. And we've seen that in some of our children. And, and we had to go back and we had to analyze, God, what is this? And so Meredith, in dealing with the hardness that we began to see happening. And, and it wasn't just mom and dad doing stuff that would hurt. It's the world, church. The world is going to prey on your children. And their, Satan's goal is to harden your child's heart because he knows that if he can create hard soil, a hard heart, that heart will not even receive the gospel. Not even receive. The other two soils, the rocky ground, thorny ground, at least received it. But they had issues, too, that we'll talk about next week. But this, the soil, the, the seed just lays in the ground on the surface. The second thing that we see here is that there is no understanding. Now, there is a lot that, that can be said here. I truly believe that God created this world, and there is so much about creation that talks to us, speaks to us of who God is. That he is, that there is one God, that he truly loves us, otherwise he would not have created this. He is a God of infinite love and beauty in that he created it beautiful. He could have created the earth ugly church, but he didn't do that. 
He could have created all of us ugly, but he didn't do that. He made you all beautiful people, you are, and that we fall in love with one another and that we actually reflect that quality of, of God. There is so much in creation, and I'm barely skimming the surface here, that speaks to us about who this God truly is. But along comes the world, and being deceived by the enemy, Satan himself, introduces philosophies that describe a God who is either completely opposite of what the Bible describes and what creation truly is speaking, or it teaches us to completely reject God. So along comes this philosophy of men that preaches evolution. John Dewey said, who is a believer in evolution and in humanism, that man can pull himself up by the bootstraps. It's all about me. He said, the, the classroom is my pulpit. And that's where he was going to make his disciples. And John Dewey's Theories of education have swept through the public school system, the universities, and his goal is to eradicate Christianity in all of higher education so that with his humanistic philosophies, he can retrain an entire world that does not believe in God. And so what we see here then is this, the seed that's sown on the pathway, it's hard and it's not receiving the word It's because it's not understanding it. And your children, whether it's watching television or interacting with friends, getting in, you know, going to a public school or, or even many Christian schools being influenced by other kids, and, and I would say we homeschooled our kids, but even within the homeschool industry, you got to be careful, but there's so many influences that are going to run contrary to the truth, and, and, and again, the truth is, is shouted to us through creation and confirmed to us through the Word of God. This is who God is, and that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. So the creation itself, Romans 1 says, leaves no one with, with any excuse whatsoever for why they would not believe in God and be humbled and seek after this God. And I truly believe that when that happens, the heart of God is to reveal Jesus. He sends missionaries to third world countries as they come to these realizations and they're humbled before God because God pours out grace upon the humble. That's, that's another sermon. But we need to realize that the world is competing for our children's attention. And so for that reason, we, we personally chose to homeschool. But here's another thing that can cause a child to not understand, and that is a parent's hypocrisy. We go to church, we teach our children, love your neighbors, love your enemies, and yet mom and dad fail to get along. And they argue, bitterly argue. And this child, whose heart is malleable and is in the process of being formed, is it going to be, become good soil? When the seed is planted, grows and produces 30, 60, 100 fold? Or does it become hardened like the pathway and not understand the gospel? Because he's being told that God loved us so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and yet I see in mom and dad a completely inconsistent message. Now, in psychology, they call this cognitive dissonance. That means they're getting two messages from the same person, and they don't know which message to believe. 
And we can do this with our kids. Now, Jesus put a label on it. He said, hypocrites. And the word hypocrite was used to refer to a play actor on stage. He wore a mask. Am I, am I going too deep on this one, church? But, and, and this is what we can do. And we, we, can, we can put the mask of our Christianity on. And I'm, I'm doing it because like, they would ho- actually hold the mask in their hands. Put the mask of Christianity on when they go to church and when they're with friends. And they look, wow, you have such a wonderful family. But wow, you ought to be in their home just for 10 minutes. You would not get that picture. And that is the picture that the child grows up with. The child can look behind the mask and see the real mom and dad. Now, Meredith and I realized that this was a serious possibility. No matter how much we loved the Lord, we realized that we could hurt our children. And I remember when Jenny Rose went through a a time of rebellion, and Meredith and I fasted and prayed, and we just said, no matter what it takes, we are going to win our daughter. We apologized to her. We spent special time with her. Meredith, with our with our children, especially our girls. She goes on walks with them, especially with my paint touch-up business. The last thing I want to do is take a walk in the hot sun. But she loves this. She gets out in the sun, and she'll wear roll-up her sleeves and wearing shorts, and she'll get the sun, and she'll just talk. And all of our girls love to talk. They really do. Um, and so there's a lot to talk about, and she connects with them. And when she, when she was younger and the kids were younger, she would always seek to connect with them. She wouldn't allow herself to get busy with so much stuff in life because her goal was to raise children who did not see a, a, a picture of duplicity in which mom said one thing or dad said one thing, but they lived another. And we wanted to be able to truly love our children. And for them to see that, and if there were hurts and wounds, that we walked them through that, so we spent time with them. And Meredith is, is, I mean, the reason why I fell in love with her was because she's so outgoing, so transparent. Um, I'm an introvert, so especially when I'm tired, it's hard for me to say two words, but she found a way to get me to talk a lot. Uh, But we always had a lot to talk about. If I didn't say anything, she definitely had something to say. And so there was a lot of conversation. And she's so good at this type of conversation, and she draws our children out because that's her love. Jesus is her first love in her family. She is uniquely wired, and, and even more so than I am, in caring and loving our children. And when we wound, when we hurt our children, when we do something that's contrary to what we're teaching, that we would be quick to apologize to our children. And she was so good at that. Is. Our our youngest is now 19. The last thing I want us to see, because I do have to go through this quickly, and I see that my time is already up, so I'm going to just touch on this and leave it. But because of the first two, Satan is able to come and steal the word from off the the hardened pathway. Through the rains, they've not been covered up. There's no germination of the seed. And the devil comes and he steals the word out of the earth. Did you realize that Satan can actually snatch the seed of truth that you have worked so hard to plant, to cast on the pathway? And, and Satan is able to take that out of their heart. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's kind of scary. That really challenges me. Number one, I need to constantly be planting the seed. 
If the devil comes and steals that seed, I'm going to plant some more. But my goal is to not just plant the seed, but the whole purpose of this message this week, next week, cultivate the ground and the soil of your child's heart. And so we realize that we could not give up sowing the word. Meredith um, always loved scripture, very creative, 10 times more creative than me. She put books like this together. I think she has at least half a dozen of these. It it does look a little old and worn because she created this for Kate uh, many, many years ago. It says right here, there's a picture of a baby, and it's got little bubbles. So she's thinking this, and she says, when I grow up, I'm going to be, and here's the title of the book, A Virtuous Woman. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. And as you go through this, she just put pictures with verses throughout this. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth more than rubies. The husband, her husband, has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. And as you go through this and all of these pictures, and how many of you know, kids love pictures. And as they're looking through this, they come at that age, three, five, whatever it is, they're reading this. They can read it themselves and they would love to sit down with this book. That's why it's so tattered. They would love to sit down and by themselves, they would read these verses and look at all the pictures. And I mean, they would focus and stare at the pictures. They loved them. And she knew this about children, so she created a book like this. There, there's a couple others here that I have, um, both of them with similar colors. And this one is Titus 2, 3 to 5, teachings of the woman of God and how older women mentor younger women. And again, verses with pictures. And this one here is on First Peter 3, 1 to 6. Wives, be submissive to your husbands and those who have unbelieving husbands. How do you win them without a word, as Peter says? By the character of your heart. And so we realized that they needed to get the word constantly. We also realized that we needed to teach the word incisively. And so to do that, we took Deuteronomy 6, teachable moments. Teach them while you walk along the road and when you sit at home when you rise in the morning, and when you go to bed. All different occasions, at all moments of life. And Meredith was so good at this uh, when our children were young and being able to see just the stuff of life. Some of it was really hard. Some of it a movie might highlight or a a real-life event would highlight. And it was her job and my job to pay to bring our children's attention to this so that they would be able to then see this picture and for us then to bring home a, a, a biblical principle. And so as we'd be walking along the road or for us in our day driving along the road or going through Lowe's or watching a, a football game uh, or anything along, the, uh, along these lines, using teachable moments for dad to apologize after a soccer game because he yelled at the ref. <laughs> How can you? Are you blind? Oh, now I've got to apologize to my son because I embarrassed him out on the field. I, I, I didn't quite go that far, but I was really, really close. <laughs> Donald, okay, Mike, all right, it's a game. And, you know, because I would really get into these games. Any dads really get into the children's games? Yeah, come on. You're lying. You know you all do. I know it. <laughs> that's, and that's true. And, but these are teachable moments. And after Jimmy would have a game, a football game, being able to, as I'm driving him home, talk about the game and 
and, and try and flesh out. Yeah, you know, Jim, you worked hard through that. You, you were injured, not too injured, but you worked through it. You went back off, you rubbed dirt in the wound, you went out there and you played anyway. Learning how to play through hurt. What an important principle in manhood and, and womanhood too. We all have to work through hurts. How do you do that? And keep moving forward in life. I'm just going to close with this because can someone go out and just have the, the children come in because I want to have an open mic opportunity. Are they in? Oh, they've been in. Wow, okay. I, I expected, I thought there were more, okay. So let me wrap up. Let me sum up. By the way, we're, we've got this on, right? This is on? Okay. Church, the stuff of life. Teachable moments. God, I'm speaking to you parents, God is going to bring you through some hard times. And I mean some really hard times. And as parents, you can choose to argue about it. Finances, probably one of the biggest ones. You can choose to argue about your finances. You can choose to take offense at what your spouse said and how they said it to you. You can choose to get in each other's faces. You can choose to throw things at one another. But I'm going to tell you this right now. You are opening the door for the enemy to create a heart in your child that is just like this pathway and becomes hard and the seed of the word of God does not get rooted in them. And I'm going to encourage you, use these things that the devil means for evil in your life and allow God to turn them around to good. Instead, dads, rally your families in the midst of this chaos and things you don't understand and hard trials. And God, where are you in this? I don't understand. But we are now going to seek you in prayer right now. And I cannot tell you how many times when our family, our family was going through hard financial times, we prayed. And, and we would bow. I, one time, me laying down in the middle of the floor, I was just in tears because I did not understand what God was doing. And I said, family, just pray over me. And that week, church, God answered our prayers. And my children saw true flesh and blood, real life examples of how when we pray, God answers. And, and it was a miracle. The world, oh, that was just, you know, coincidence. Okay, well, when you put like 50 coincidences together, you kind of get a different picture. And that's what God is doing in the hearts of your children. So I, I, I'm going to close in prayer right now. I'm over time, so I'm going to close in prayer right now. But let, this, let God challenge your heart this morning. What a unique privilege that God has given to you moms and dads. And you ladies, you do such an outstanding job. You really set the pace for us dads. Thank you. So, Father, I, I do pray right now. Help us as moms and dads. Equip us. Humble us. Strengthen us. That you would show us how do I cultivate the soil of my child's heart. Give me diligence. Give me insight. Show me, God, what I am doing that may be creating a hardened heart like this pathway. And I just pray, Spirit of God, 
make me into the man of God. Make our wives into the women of God as we need to be for the sake of our children. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm going to do right now, we're going to take about 10, 15 minutes, and I just want to open the, the floor to some of you who would like to brag on your mom, some of you who would like to commend your mom, thank her for what she has done in your life. Now, here is what I'm going to ask, okay, if, if we could do this. Because some of you, like me, my mom is not here. Actually, my mom is with Jesus now, okay? But some of your moms are not here. So I would like to open the floor for those whose moms are here today, okay? Um, those of you who, which your mom is not here, call them, what have you, uh, later. But let's just take this opportunity and let's speak to our moms. Let's build them up and let's say thank you to them right now, okay? Who would like to share first? Raise your hand. Okay. Um, I would actually like to share about um, Kate, who's the mom of my babies. Um, and I just wanted to commend you before everybody here because um, I am coming to realize, Rusty is a little over two years old, being a parent is like the hardest thing ever. Mm. And I work you know, 40 hours a week. So that's 40 hours that I'm not there, that they're awake. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to commend Kate. I just, uh, I feel really safe and secure and confident leaving the house every day, knowing that I'm leaving my two boys in very competent hands. And I know that when I leave, Kate is going to instill good things in the boys. She is going to support me. I know that um, she's going to discipline in love. She's going to teach them the gospel. She, she feeds them the word every day and in ways that like make it alive to the boys. And Rusty has scripture verses memorized just because he loves them because of like the Bible times that Kate has with him. And I see fruit in his life and I see good things coming out in him. And I see, <laughs> uh, I see two boys that are really secure in how much they are loved. And I know that that's Kate. And I know that um, boys are going to raise up to, to be world changers and that they're going to come to um, love the Lord. And I know that because I see in Kate, um, she's tilling the soil of their hearts and she's she does a lot to invest into them to ensure that their hearts are good soil so that when that seed is planted, um, it has space to take root. And there's a foundation there um, spiritually so that um, good things can grow. And I just see in the way that case relates to the boys, one of our biggest prayers as parents is that we make it easier for the boys to understand the Lord and his character and his goodness and not harder. Um, and we ask for grace because there are things we do that make it harder for them to understand that. But I see in Kate so much good that makes it easier for our boys to understand the love and character of God. Amen. Awesome. Very good. All right. So I just want to give thanks to my mother really quick, but I really don't know where to start because she's so perfect. <laughs> and, um, but if I was to think about like one major thing in her life, it would have to be forgiveness because. As many of you know, I have messed up like tons and tons of times, and she's always there 
forgiving me and just guiding me along where I should go and the right things that I need to do. And I also want to thank Miss Leanne for being an awesome spiritual mother to me and just being there when I need her the most. Awesome. And thank both of you. So thank you for both of you. Awesome. Very good. <clears throat> So one thing I really love about my mom is that if I'm ever confused about something, she always has an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm joking, but <laughs> I mean, who here has heard my mom share her opinion, especially if it's on something moral? Yes, most of you. Yeah, she is. But my mom has a lot of wisdom. And a lot of experience as a pastor's wife ministering to people. And she really, she knows a lot of times um, people. So one thing is that she loves to protect her kids. So maybe I'll see someone like, oh, they're, I'm sure they don't mean it like this. And she's like, no, this is what's going on in their hearts. <laughs> and then, of course, she's right. But, <laughs> but one thing I really appreciate about my mom is that she is very protective of her kids. And I know that. Um, you know, sometimes that can be hard, but it's always because she loves us. And it really, she has worked so hard to impart wisdom to us kids so that we can make our own decisions and we can um, hear God for ourselves. And I've met people at college and at work who didn't grow up knowing that you could hear God's voice. And they didn't grow up knowing that you could have a deep personal relationship with Jesus and it kind of shocked me when I would meet people like that but it made me really really grateful for you mom because you and dad have always taught us how to hear Jesus for ourselves you didn't just tell us what to do you taught us how to hear Jesus and how to read his word and how to love his word so I'm really grateful Uh, my mom's actually not here. My brother is actually uh, loving on her for, for Mother's Day, which is a huge blessing in and of itself. Um, but I want to take this time to commend Sarah. You know, I've had a few years now to be able to do this since our first was born. But one thing I love about Sarah is that she not only teaches, but she models. And she's very consistent in what she does. Our boys first learned to pray uh, through the, the dinner table because consistently and every single day, every single meal, she prays with those boys. And I loved whenever I would come home and I would hear something like, how do we pray? And the boys instinctively know how to do it because they've seen their mom do it every single time before a meal. Um, you know, and, and just watching her as she has these boys, I want to tell you guys, I work at a place that is very uh, worldly. You don't see Jesus in this industry a whole lot. And I just talked with a woman yesterday, um, and she was re reliving the history of just her own children and all the mistakes that she had made. And I just got this sense and this feeling that there was just such hopelessness, just not only for her, but like her kids having no real role model, nothing really to look to. And I am so grateful that I have a wife who not only surrendered her life to Jesus, but made it so important that she was willing to change any way that she needed to, and our boys have such a role model in their mother um, to, to, to really model after, and that is just something that unless you talk to people, 
and realize that there is a whole nother side. There's a whole nother type of people that's out there that don't know Jesus, that don't believe in him, and they're role models in a different way. And so I am blessed because not just with Sarah, but every mom here in this church, when I look around, they model these great things, and that is hard. That is hard to do. Teaching is easy. Modeling and training are hard because you got to be in it for the long haul, and it's tiring, and you get weary. And I watch as she soldiers on, you know. Now, Zag works 40. I pull more like 50 or so a week. But the moms, they're pulling 24 every single day, 24 hours every single day. And so, you moms, I commend you. I love you. I thank you. And to my wife, I'm so grateful for what you do for our children. I love you. Yeah, thank you, Rob. wanted to say one or two things. I'm really grateful for my mom and how she blesses me and everything that she does. And she's always been like my best friend, even though she's my mom. And I love how she's really sanguine and like she's bubbly. <laughs> and I love how um, she always like looks on me and makes sure she that makes sure that I'm okay and stuff like that. So whatever you mean. Where did you learn that word? Okay, now I'm going to apologize right now. We are short on time, and what I'm trying to do is, so I'm trying to, if there are several from one family that have their hand raised, I am trying to focus a little bit more on those who haven't had the opportunity in a family. So here we go. I'm really scared to grab the mic because I'm afraid I'm going to cry. Um. I wrote it down this time, so I won't cry, hopefully. <laughs> but I wrote a poem for my mom to tell how much I love her. Mother, dear mother, no words can describe you. I wish I could say something perfectly honest and true. But mother, no earthly words can describe you. You aren't just loving and you aren't just kind. You're beyond that all. Even to try to describe you blows my mind. You laugh with me and you cried as well. You lifted my heart whenever it fell. Over all the years, you've dried my tears and washed away my fears. The term super mom isn't good enough for you. Jesus powered mother is a title more true. So mom, today, I just want to say, I love you in every single way. For the way you pray, you pray, and your life is like a sun's ray. Happy Mother's Day. Okay, anyone want to follow that one up? Wow. Angelo, you're a bold young man. Here you go. Um, I'm really thankful for my mom that she's always there for me when I need her, that she um always, like, in tennis, she 
felt like when I lose a match, she makes me feel better because when I lose a match, I get really angry usually, and that she um she's always worried about me, and that's the best love I have for her son. I thought you were about to do a rap there or something. So great job, though. Super job. Okay. Just wanted to let Esther say something, too. I thought she might say la, la, la. But I just want to say that um, my wife puts up with me. I'm like one of those... Guys, it says we'll be here ten minutes, and then we're there an hour because I'm talking with people and just really social. And um, this whole trip has been like a ministry trip too. We've been in so many churches preaching and speaking, and my wife has been the one to just take care of Esther and watch over her. And like Zach said, that really where Zach really spoke to me is that um, like it's good to know when you go to work um, when you're gone so many hours a week that you have someone that you trust taking care of your, your son or your daughter or your multiple children. That That's how I feel about my wife. When I, when I met her, the Lord told me, Psalms, or sorry, Proverbs 31, his heart fully trusts her. His heart fully trusts her. That's been a big point for me is to know that I can trust my wife and that when I'm gone, the principles of God's word are being sowed into my daughter. And um, I just want to say thank you to her, and I love her. Awesome. Very good. Very good. <clears throat> okay. Well, I thought what I was going to say was pretty good, but after that poem, I was like, hmm, I need to rethink myself. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Mom, thank you so much for sacrificing so much for us, and I love you a lot. Awesome. Very good. Okay, we do have like one or two minutes, so. Uh, yeah. First off, I want to say that my mom is literally the best person to ever existed besides Jesus. <laughs> and um, she is so loving and she forgives me like hourly and she is funny and I've love like becoming your friend over the past few years and that has been really fun and you're amazing i also want to commend ivalice because she really loves her boys and you are so fun and i can tell you really love them and um and your boys are absolutely amazing I love you. very good very good all right <clears throat> I'm sorry, one more, and we're going to need to. Um, I have the privilege of having two mommies here today. And this isn't public school. Um, but um, I am so grateful for the two mothers that God has blessed me with, the one who's been my mom forever. Um, mommy, you are so patient and faithful. And you always love. I think everyone in this church knows she always loves, no matter what. And love is painful, but um, that's what the cross means. That's what Jesus does. And um, so I'm very grateful to my mommy for that. And um, and for both her and my, my new mommy, 
um, it's such a blessing to watch you both mother parents. And um, I've been so blessed by how both of you have so affirmed me and my husband as parents and um, not let, not tried to control, not tried to tell us even what to do, let us be taught by God and so honor and affirm us as God guides us and we make mistakes and you cheer us on. And I think that's such a blessing. I think that's such a good example for me one day as I'm um, a mother-in-law um, and a mom of adults to to let my children leave and cleave, but um, but encourage them and cheer them on. And I just really appreciate how you've mothered us, how you've encouraged us. And there have been times um, I've been at the Millette's house, and it's been a challenging day, apparently. And um, Laura will just be like, you and Zach are such good parents, and you're really doing a good job with these boys. And I'm so blessed by that because those are the times you don't feel that way. And so thank you very much, Mom. And um, I just love also watching both of you with my boys because there is so much love they get showered on by their grandmas. And um, they just, you know, they're, Rusty's a toddler, so sometimes that's not always evident, but he adores both of you so much. And um, you are, <laughs> you're so good at loving and affirming him. And I also just wanted to say very quickly that um, I'm so proud of, Sarah and Anna and Evie, because um, they are moms who are setting a new generation for their families. Um, I was so blessed to grow up with a mom who trained me and modeled for me how to follow Jesus. Um, but for you three, you are you're the first one in your in your family to start a legacy of following Jesus and obeying His word and disciplining and training and nurturing and loving and um, the Lord is so honored. You are you are good and faithful servants, and I just wanted to applaud you as moms for doing such an amazing job. Awesome. Let's just applaud all the moms right now. Can we do that? Forgive me. I do realize that there are still some hands that are raised. Um, but I do need to, to close in prayer. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do, all right? If your hand is still raised, I, I see that hand, Marcy. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Go to your mom as soon as this service is done and tell your mom exactly what you were going to share with the rest of us, okay? And all of us who did not raise our hands, let's make sure that we are on the phone with our mom or visit them in person. Let's thank them. Let's honor them. It is a command of Scripture that we do that that you may live long on this earth. Amen? Let me pray. Father, you are so good. Your love endures forever. Thank you for planting your love into the hearts of these moms who are here with us this morning. Father, you, they genuinely love not just their children, but they are spiritual moms to so many others. I just ask, Father, for tremendous fruit to be born, especially as they pour into their children that not only would they know Jesus and love him, but would serve him fully throughout the, all the days of their lives. I ask for your blessings right now upon all of these moms. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome Mother's Day.